We wanna say happy Mother's Day. We love and appreciate every mother who's here today. Also, we want to acknowledge there are many spiritual mothers and there are many ladies in this room who play the role of a mother in, in many different capacities and pouring into building up the next generation. We're grateful for all of you. Can we give it up together for all the moms that are here today, the grandmothers as well? We're celebrating moms today. We also recognize that for some people, this can be a difficult day, so we're praying for God's comfort and encouragement for you through this Mother's Day. If you didn't pick up uh, one of the roses when you came in, we have roses, and be sure on your way out to take a rose. We also have a photo opportunity, and it's the west entrance. Everything's set up for you. Bring friends, bring family, take some pictures, and celebrate this moment as well. We're grateful, so grateful for the mothers and grandmothers who are here today. And we also uh, today uh, want to let you know that we're offering prayer at the end of this message. And why do we do that? Because in the Bible, James chapter five, the elders, leaders of the church, serving and praying. And so they will have oil, whatever requests you have. If you have physical infirmity, or maybe you wanna trust the Lord, maybe you're a mom that needs some encouragement, you can come forward for prayer at the end of this message. There'll be an opportunity to receive prayer. We're honored to pray for you. And as we go through this series, the parables of Jesus, we're in Luke chapter 14 today, focusing on the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, if you wanna open up a Bible, find it on your phone, let us know if you need a Bible as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us, your provision, your kindness. God, thank you for the ways that your love is seen and felt and heard through our mothers. And God, we wanna honor our mothers today. And Father, we pray for each mom that's here that you would strengthen, encourage, and comfort, that you would guide their words, give them discernment. And Father, we pray that they would overcome through your help whatever challenges they're facing. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. A disciple is a learner or an apprentice. And in our cultural context, Picture an electrician who has an apprentice. The apprentice is going to gain knowledge and information, but also the apprentice is gonna roll up their sleeves and is gonna learn with some skills to take some action. That metaphor still falls short when you think about a biblical disciple. A disciple of Jesus, let's embrace the fullness of what it means to be a disciple. And there's different components. The first is there's knowledge. That information is important. But it's far more than that. That's a starting point because those facts should lead to faith. And that's action, taking action, getting experience, living out your faith, loving your neighbor. There's a third part, which is your character. When Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't just to imitate him in an action-oriented way, but also to become like him. Your character transformed to become like Jesus and disciples make disciples. That's a full picture, the knowledge, the action, the character, and making disciples. When Jesus says, you're my disciple, it includes all of that. It's not just like some people think, more knowledge. It's a full picture. Well, there was a large crowd gathered around Jesus in Luke chapter 14, and they were interested in his teaching. They recognized that it was different from the Pharisees. They also acknowledged that it had some authority to it. In addition to that, the miracles, they were impressive and there was a lot of blessings. 
I mean, who doesn't like it when good food is multiplied, right? They were looking for more of that good food and that multiplication. They liked some of the blessings that were happening. And Jesus gave some promises about eternal life and things. And as they were taking that all in, they thought, this is pretty great, this following Jesus. There's just blessings everywhere. And they didn't really understand what it means to follow Jesus and be a disciple. Jesus was very intentional to make it clear about discipleship. And the challenge then is the same challenge today, how easy it is to get distracted. Maybe for them it was the multiplication of food and some of the healings. They were so encouraged, but they were distracted from the main part of following Jesus. For us today, it can often be technology, prosperity, and just staying very busy. And we meet the heart of the message. We miss it. And we want to return to Jesus. This is a parable that helps us refocus and return to Jesus and the call in our lives to follow the Lord. A disciple is all about the kingdom. And how do we overcome these distractions? We're going to look at three keys today to overcoming the distractions as we follow Jesus together. We want to live a life full of purpose and we want to walk closely with Jesus. The first key is commitment. This is where Jesus begins for a disciple, it's commitment. It's the strongest love. When you commit, you're bringing your strong love, your agape love, your covenant love. And that commitment and strong love is what holds together a a family, a church family, and the followers of Jesus. Jesus began talking to the crowd in verse 25 as large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He was turning to them and he said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You say, well, that's kind of a strange Mother's Day text. Whoever doesn't hate their mother, like what does that mean? It does not mean malice and ill will. It's a comparative statement. In other words, you're going to love people and you're going to love God, but the order, the priority is very important. And what Jesus is saying is comparatively, you should love him first and love people second. And because when you love Jesus, that's actually going to be when you love your spouse the best. If you put people first and you push God down, your love with other people is going to fail. It's going to fluctuate. It's not going to be consistent. But when you abide with Jesus, your love for people is even going to be greater and more faithful and committed. And so that loving God first is extremely important for a disciple. And comparatively, don't put anyone else in that spot. Why did he say that? Because it was very common then and today to elevate people into that top spot in your life. It was very common then and today to elevate pleasures or hobbies or interests into that top spot. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, even your child. It's easy to elevate the things that we really care about, the people that we really love. It's really easy to elevate them. Job, career, money, whatever you care about, that's probably where you're tempted to have an idol and lift that person above Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear he's not going to be second in anyone's life who's a disciple. That's not where he belongs. It's first. And when you think about a large crowd, 
It's suddenly becoming cool to hang out with Jesus, to be around Jesus. It's like, what's new? This teaching, these miracles. Jesus isn't doing this to get a larger crowd. You could almost see the disciples saying, Jesus, this is going to thin the herd. (laughs) You're going to get less people. Jesus, we've been to some church growth workshops. Let me tell you, you want to avoid this, Jesus, because some people don't want this. So tickle their ears. Jesus, if you tell them Sundays, just come to church serve, get in a Bible study, they'll say yes to that. Let that be your scorecard. But, but just don't get into the week, Jesus. Just don't get into following him the whole week. And there's some tension as Jesus says this. We, we kind of feel a little bit in our lives. And Jesus reiterates this many times. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus was talking to a crowd that struggled with self-absorption. And when you're self-absorbed, it leads to a superficial faith. It leads to a very carnal faith. And Jesus wanted to set people free from that trap and give them a greater vision and a higher vision. There were a lot of people that gave lip service to God at that point. You know, people that would say, oh, we love God, God first. And then their kids who knew their lives were like, I don't know if it's really God first. I mean, we got some other things that we kind of have more important than God, but I get it. Our family says God first, so we'll just say God first. But, but Jesus saw through all that. And Jesus was trying to guide people into truth. And the truth is, following Jesus, the heart of it includes self-denial. Self-denial is not a popular message today. Self-absorption and me at the center of the world, that's a popular message. But self-denial, Jesus is on his way to die on the cross as he's bringing this teaching. It wasn't like he had some words to say while he was kicking back and there was the hot tub and the remote control and he had all his food that he liked and he was like, hey, self-denial's cool. Jesus was on the road to the cross to die for our sins and what he's saying, it's that the overflow of his life. He lived a life where he was submitting to the Father, surrender to the Father. And the cross would mean humiliation. The cross included hardship. The cross included people hating Jesus. And ultimately, he died and laid down his life on the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 17, we read, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. He was carrying his own cross first, and then he tells us to carry our cross There was a point where he was carrying his cross because the Romans wanted to treat someone who was a criminal in such a way that everyone would get the message, Rome is almighty, don't mess with Rome. This was a public public, um, spectacle, that's better, uh, and through the heart of the city so everyone would see, oh, you want to mess with Rome? Look what could happen to you. And so it created fear. Jesus was... Everyone saw him. The sinless savior of the world is carrying his own 
cross through the city in which they will put nails through his hands and feet and his message is self-denial for the glory of God. Pick up your cross and follow me daily. That's a strong message to not be ashamed of Jesus, but be committed to the Lord. Commitment is what makes community. Say, how does this work when we're all different ages and personalities and nations and ethnicities and how could we all come together as one? We can in the Lord. And with a commitment to Jesus, we love each other. We put each other above ourselves. We care for each other. There's a commitment to Jesus, to scripture, to the values, to the priorities, to love, to forgive, to serve. Where there's a strong commitment, there's a strong community. That's true in your family. That's true in your church family. Commitment creates community. If you don't have commitment, you don't have much community. Commitment's at the core. And it's not just while we're here together, but committed to Jesus. When you leave this building, what does it look like to be committed to Jesus? I'm so grateful to be able to have the physical ability after a year and an injury to go back to playing soccer. And part of it, I enjoy the sport and the exercise is good. But a big part of that for me, what was missing is the relationships, the conversations. And for many of you, you're with people all day long who don't know God. But in my role, I'm with people who follow Jesus most of the day. And soccer is one of those opportunities I have to bring the love of Jesus into a place where this week I was able to invite some people to church, have some conversations, and it's just part of me that comes alive again because now I can enter into that. And I want to represent Jesus well, even if someone kicks me in the game, they shouldn't have kicked me, or even if I, whatever I'm doing, I know it's important, more important than the game or the victory is that we are ambassadors of Jesus. And you are not in your neighborhood by accident or your job by accident and those relationships by accident. God has already placed you and gone ahead of you and is with you. And if you stay committed to Jesus, there's gonna be much fruit. If you abide with Jesus, there's gonna be much fruit. When you abide with Jesus, it makes it really easy for people to see Jesus in you. But if you don't abide with Jesus, then it gets harder to see Jesus in you. So that commitment is for here in our church family, it's for our communities in our city, in this abiding with Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Worthy is a word that's being spoken frequently in our culture and there's often a message, you are worthy, you are worthy. Maybe you've heard that, social media, podcasts, you are worthy. If worthy means you are made in God's image, you are wonderfully made, you, there's great purpose in your life, and you have talents, yes, absolutely, those things are true. And I understand that there's a lot of people who feel looked down upon or have been mistreated. And by saying you are worthy, it's reminding them that they are gifted, that they are wonderfully made. And those things are true. Now, with the same word, you are worthy, I have some concern because I did not earn my way into heaven. When my days are over and I come before Jesus and I'm forgiven and I'm accepted, the last thing I'm ever gonna say is I step up and say, I am worthy. 
I am not worthy. God is holy. And what I deserve is to be separated from God forever. If it was justice, I wouldn't be with God for eternity. It's nothing to do with me being worthy. There's no boasting. It was a gift from God. And so I don't carry around. Look how worthy I am. That's just not it. And also, God has different standards. When he says worthy, some of the roles that we play, and you probably know this from your workplace, if you make a bunch of bad decisions, your employer is not going to consider you worthy for the position. There's different roles in our life where, and standards God has where we are and aren't worthy regarding our choices. So worthy is not as simple a word as we think. On the one hand, we want to build people up because we want no one too low. And on the other hand, we don't want to give people a bunch of hot air because we want no one too big. And so think through these words biblically when you hear them in our culture. And one of those words is worthy, and that's the word Jesus chose right here. Now, uh, following Jesus and being his disciple, I was talking with someone this week. It was over Zoom. They're in Ukraine. And this is someone I've known for years, and it was humbling for me to talk and hear of what's been happening over the last year, and more than a year. And this friend's describing some of the war crimes, the devastation, the loss of lives, and what it's like to live. Their city has been demolished in many ways, walking through the streets. He says it's a little apocalyptic. It's just strange to see all the damage. He says it's far more than, than what most people know. We need to continue to pray for people in Ukraine and what they're going through. What stood out to me in that conversation is that I kept hearing commitment. He didn't use the word once. You don't always need to announce when you're committed, but sometimes it just becomes so clear. He's committed to Jesus first and foremost. And that commitment to Jesus first leads to a lot of other commitments in his life. He's so committed to his family. And his wife has been in another country for over a year. He said that's common because of the war crimes. Many of, the, many of their wives are gone and out of the picture with the danger. And with that, separated from over a year, continuing to walk with Jesus, stay connected together. And I admire this because for all of us, we go through pain and unexpected stuff, more massive than we ever wanted. And it's easy sometimes when you're in pain or life is disappointing or unfair to take that pain and have it taint your view of God. But he knows Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is good. And it's what people are choosing that's not good and not even from God. And he's, he's walking through that in such a way he's committed to Jesus, committed to his family, and committed to his country. He's continuing to serve and help in so many ways. And I'm telling you, there's going to be moments in your life, your commitment will be tested more than you ever wanted and you're going to want to get out but it's going to be a defining moment in those moments when you choose Jesus and stay committed to him it is worship it inspires other people and continue to do right in the worst situations that's what I walked away from uh, listening to my friend and this commitment I want to also say is not just a humanistic commitment Peter declared, Jesus will never let you down. We'll never. And what did he do? Deny Jesus three times right after that. This is not today of this humanistic declaration. No, instead, it's a commitment that's tied to reliance. Where Jesus was guiding people in this passage is to rely on him. And this reliance is that, Jesus, I can't do it without your help. I can't.
can't be a great, you know, whether it's wife, husband, season of singleness, dad, mother, I can't, follower of you, I can't do this, stay committed in the right ways without your help. So I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that you don't leave me or forsake me, Christ in me. I thank you, God, that you're gonna help me because I wanna walk faithful to you and I need your help to do it. That's the biblical commitment that we have together going forward. Well, there's a commitment. That's a key to break out of distractions. And then there's cost. And you're thinking, do we have to have commitment and cost on the same Sunday? Like, couldn't we have waited a few weeks and then talked about cost? Jesus brought these two parables to really underscore the cost. He says this in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down, consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. With commitment, that's a great love. With cost, that's a sacrificial love. And there's gonna be sacrifices where there's a cost. Love includes sacrifices. Love has a cost. Jesus uses two parables. The first one is building a tower. And this is probably convicting for anyone that's tried a home improvement project. And you know, you got the first part done and now it's just been sitting there for three years. And it's like, okay, uh, probably time to finish it. But it's far beyond home improvement. It's discipleship. So many people will lay a foundation. It kind of sounds good at first, but now where's the walk and where are you going with it? Similarly, a king in a war, you need to sit down and think through this. What Jesus repeats, sit down, take some time, assess, go deep, pray, listen to God, think through your steps forward. As you consider and pray, go deep with the Lord. Say yes to Jesus. Don't just do it because it feels good or emotional or someone else is doing it or not thinking twice about it. Go deep and really think about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't just give that lip service. And as you go through that, it could include talking to people, researching, a plan, ready to sacrifice, being intentional. Because there were a lot of people then who are like, you know, I like the blessing side of following Jesus, or they were in denial of any cost. They were kind of naive. They just thought everything's gonna be so smooth when you follow Jesus. Do you know how many people decide to follow Jesus and they're surprised that they still have trials? And there's even some teachers who have told them, oh, when you follow Jesus, everything's just gonna work out awesome for you. That sets people up for disappointment. And Jesus is the exact opposite. Like if you choose to follow me, you might be killed. That's his message. When do you hear that, right? Uh, it's, what you hear is, it's all about you. And uh, well, it's not really all about you. So be discerning with these messages. And when it comes to cost, uh, there's a cost and a price. Think about motherhood and the high cost that mothers invest. And think about the start of just carrying a child, delivering a child, 
the early parts of a child's life where there's not much sleep, there's a lot of unselfishness, then all the diapers are coming, right? Then sorting through things like rides, how many times you step on Legos, picking up continual Nerf bullets, I mean, meals, uh, rides, helping them with choices and friends, prayers, reading the Bible. I mean, there's a lot when you think about motherhood. I'm not trying to discourage anyone who's considering being a mom here. (laughs) I'm just giving a glimpse into some realities that could catch you by surprise. Would you agree that mothers give and give and serve and give and serve and give? And it's probably far more than they saw coming a lot of times. But you know what you'll hear from mothers? It was worth it. It was worth it. It was all worth it. And we live in a culture that is trying to figure out, okay, where's the cost? Oh, there's a high cost there? Then let me avoid it. Because I want what's easy, I want what's comfortable, I want what's full of pleasure, I want what's all about me. And in our culture right now, we are pushing aside the things that have a cost, and we are trying to retreat and create a bubble in everything comfortable. And I want to share with you so clearly that that is not a path towards fulfillment in life. To avoid the things that have a cost and try to just keep it real simple and comfortable, you will not be fulfilled in that bubble. We'll say, what's the other option? It's to figure out which things in life have a cost and which things are worth it. And even if the cost is high, if it's worth it, I'm going all out for that because that's where God's moving. That's what God's called me to do. That's the path of courage. Our mothers inspire us. They live it out. That's the path that Jesus is calling this crowd that's missing it towards a higher, a higher calling with a higher cost. And there's someone in our church who is sharing with me in a gathering recently with pastors. And this is in a part of the world where being a Christian means you're not going to live very long. You might be aware that in many places geographically in the world today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you live out your faith, your time on this earth is gonna be very short. We have brothers and sisters, many, many, many around the world who are in that position. In gathering with some of these pastors, knowing that people are trying to take them out because they're living for Jesus, the question is, what's your vision for the rest of your life? What's your vision? And the pastors started to give numbers. My vision's 10, my vision's 15, my vision's 25. And the question is, well, what's that mean? Like your vision is a number? Your vision's 15? Like what's the vision? Explain to me what you're saying. And the pastors would say, my vision is to lead 15 people to Jesus before they kill me. My vision is to lead 10 more people to Jesus before they kill me. My vision is to lead 25 to Jesus before they kill me because they're gonna be killed soon and they know it. And they've already made the commitment. They've already know what the cost is and they're not gonna shrink back. Their vision is a kingdom vision because disciples are all about the kingdom. Jesus said it this way in the last verse 
in verse 33 says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything that you have cannot be my disciple. If you try to hoard, you're gonna lose it. But if you lay down your life for God and for other people, you're gonna find life. We all like to be liked, but our highest calling is not to be liked. Being faithful is greater than being liked. And if being liked is most important to you, you will fall short of being faithful because being liked is not the path that God has called you to. Ultimately, is to be faithful, to love God, to love people, and to serve, and to take the relationship risks, and sometimes there's a high cost. For the ones Jesus was talking to, the main, the 12 ones there, almost all of them were gonna be killed. John lived a little longer. He had a very challenging calling, but they were gonna be killed. See, again, you wanna step in and say, Jesus, this isn't the way. I mean, you got big crowds coming. Jesus, everyone would come if you changed your message. Jesus, think about pastors. 2,000 years from now, we're gonna have to bring this message. Just take it easy on the pastors and just not say this stuff right now, Jesus. Jesus is unwavering. He's going to bring truth and he's going to bring love. See, if your view of yourself, and I know no one declares it, but if your view of yourself is that you're on the throne, you're in the center, you have the final say, and your ultimate trust is in yourself, then that's not the path of a disciple. But if Jesus is the one you trust and he's the one you follow, it's going to change your whole life. He's gonna transform you. And think about the cost. If they stared at the situation, if the 11 who were gonna be killed heard this teaching and thought, we're not gonna be around here very often, and they stared at their situation, they might shrink back. Because for any of us, if you stare at your situation, the situation just grows. If you stare at it, dwell on it, talk about it, do you think that makes problems get smaller or bigger? Now, I understand you need to process, you need to share, you need to pray, so I'm not saying stuff it. But what I am saying is there's a danger in over-focusing on your challenges and they just become bigger and bigger and your savior becomes smaller and smaller in your own eyes and heart. And here's the key. Instead of focusing primarily on the situation, this is what they do. They focus on Jesus. Because when you get a clear view of Jesus, that changes the way you see yourself. And when you see how much he loves you and has cared for you and what he's done for you, that he's with you, that he's faithful and trustworthy, now that changes the way you view yourself. You're not too small, you're not too big, you're walking humbly with Jesus, you're loving people. In other situation that comes, it's extremely challenging with a high cost, you're willing to say yes to that because you've already said yes to Jesus. You already have a view of Jesus, you have a healthy view of yourself, and now the situation, you can walk through it in the victory of the Lord. That's the shift they need when it comes to the cost. Christ over cost. I'll say that, Christ over cost. Don't get too caught up in the cost. It's worth it when you follow Jesus. And we have commitment and also cost. The last one is a calling. And this is a serving love. We had a strong love, a sacrificial love. This is a love that's serving. Your call is to serve. And Jesus said in verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, what is it about salt? Here's the metaphor on a couple levels. Salt preserves. 
Salt preserves, meaning you have a role in your family, community, and in your nation, like salt, to preserve goodness. If the salt loses its saltiness, a nation deteriorates and things start to spoil and rot. When the salt loses the saltiness, what's kept and valuable is not preserved in the same way and things deteriorate morally and spiritually. You have a call to be a preserving agent, an instrument of change and health in the culture and in the nation. Also, salt brings flavor, brings taste, brings seasoning. How many people really like seasoning and flavor in their food? All right. Some of you who really like it bland, this might not carry the full way for you. But flavor, taste, seasoning, here's the metaphor. When you show up somewhere, you make it better. When you walk in the room, you make it better. When your family sees you, you make it better. You show up with prayer and love, you make it better. Your workplace, it used to be this, but now it's this. The culture used to be here on the team, but now it's here. The friendships in your neighborhood, you make the neighborhood better. You make the place better because Christ is working through you. That's the seasoning. That's the flavor. And those two are primary, but salt had one more use, and it's tied to manure. What's up with that? Well, manure, fertilizer, and together with salt, that would help keep the weeds down. But again, if the salt loses its saltiness, now it's not preserving, now it's not flavorful, now you don't even throw it on manure because it's not gonna do anything with the weeds. Why? Because the salt, maybe it's through air, water, it's been contaminated, it's lost its saltiness, it's tasteless, and it's lost some of its purpose. Let me say it so clear. God has called you to change the culture where you live, work, learn, or play and to change the world where he's placed you. Say, well, what's the best way to change the world? Here's the best way. Lead people to Jesus and help people develop and grow in their walk with God. Make new disciples and then help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Well, you might say, well, I think it's actually better to sweep the city and city sweep is the primary way I'm gonna do it. I'd say it's good to sweep the city. We want things clean. But sweeping the city isn't gonna change hearts in the same way as if you lead people to Jesus. Well, some people are gonna say, well, I think we should change the laws of the land and that'll fix everything. And I'd say we absolutely need people uh, honoring the Lord in politics, in the legal arenas. We need people in those places. That definitely helps. It's a good, good thing. But laws don't change the human heart like the love and grace in a relationship with Jesus. So the best way, and this isn't my words, it's just Jesus over and over again. Why does he keep saying disciples, disciples, make disciples, make disciples? Why does he say it? Because it's the very best way to change the world. Lead people to Jesus, build them up in their faith. Because when they know Jesus, wherever they live, work, learn, or play, their jobs, their homes, their community, the fruit is going to come because they're walking with the Lord. America needs Jesus. And this is true in America Nepal needs Jesus. One of our international partners, David Chung, has been to Nepal recently. It's one of the countries he goes to. And Nepal, a few years ago, 2018, brought in a law, anti-Christianity, anti-baptism, anti-conversion. For the last you know, five years, this has been in place. If you baptize someone, you spend five years in prison. Imagine in America, if you baptize someone, you spend five years in prison. All right, who wants to be in the baptism team? Anyone want to baptize somebody? Uh, that's stiff. 
And so what's happening is that people in Nepal are turning to Jesus. 75, just this one pastor, 75 last year, 100 this year in Nepal. Say, well, how is this happening? Well, the pastor is having whoever's gonna be baptized write down their story Write it down very clear. This is voluntary. This is no manipulation. This is no, nothing forced. And then giving it to local police. And so more and more people are getting baptized in Nepal. Since the anti-conversion laws, there's actually more people turning to Jesus. And I say that to encourage you. In the Bible, when there was more persecution, you know what happened? The followers of Jesus realized what discipleship is, priorities, focus. They started to lead more people to Jesus and the church, it wouldn't stop. It actually grew because the kingdom of God is unstoppable. So if you hear shifts in the nation where it looks like, oh, it's going a little more against Jesus, don't just put your head down in despair, but realize that the the body of Christ is waking up for such a time as this. And, And you see that in Nepal. Let me ask you, what challenges are you facing? In your calling, what challenges are you facing? With making disciples, what challenges are you facing? You know, when it came to the disciples, they learned something valuable through the feeding of the 5,000. There were so many hungry people. You know, their first inclination was Jesus, send people away. They need to go to the towns to get more food. And then this is what Jesus says, you give them something. You give them something. Well, what are we gonna give? Like, we don't have much. Well, five loaves, two fish, Jesus, it's participation in the kingdom. And what he said, you can't do everything, but give them something. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Start today and watch what God will do to multiply it. They might be thinking, we don't have enough. Enough is another word in this culture that, that I do have to take a minute to unpack. People say all the time, maybe you're hearing it, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Well, If that means you can make a difference or you're valuable, yes, you are. Just think about the cross. You're extremely valuable. You're extremely loved. And God has also given you talents. So I absolutely want to affirm those things. But when someone says you are enough and they keep saying you are enough, where it causes many people to stumble is they think, well, I'm self-sufficient. And I wanna make it so clear that none of us are self-sufficient. Me on my own, I'm not enough. Every day I need God's help 100%. I'll never be self-sufficient. I'll never be enough. The Bible says God's grace is enough. So you alone, not enough, not enough. Don't be duped by that lie. But with God's grace and help and strength every day, absolutely there's enough for whatever God leads you to do. The disciples were learning, we're gonna abide with Jesus. His grace is enough. And far more people than we ever realized will be nourished and taken care of when we abide with Jesus and stay faithful to him. Discipleship, what more do we wanna do than to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus? Before we invite the elders up, let's just, again, Make it so clear with discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? There's components to it. It does mean listening and learning from the Lord. It does mean knowledge. 
But second, it also means be a doer of the word and take action and get experience. Roll up your sleeves, start serving and loving people. And then it means your character because there's a lot of people that they have gifts and talents, but the character's missing. Something's off with the character. So it's a depth with the Lord. And then it's making disciples, lead people to Jesus, help people grow in their faith. That's what a disciple does. And does it involve commitment? It's a strong love. It's not a weak love. It's a strong love. Well, is there a cost? Yeah, it could even be the highest cost. It's a sacrificial love. Well, is there a calling? There's a glorious, amazing, fulfilling, wonderful calling. And this calling, it's on our lives. We don't change the calling. The calling's from God, but we receive the calling. And in God's strength, we walk together. Maybe you're here today and this is a time to reflect. We're gonna have a song where there's a time of reflection because what Jesus says here, uh, he's wanting the listeners to take it to heart, to think, consider, to pray. This will be a song of reflection for where you're at with the Lord, what you want to be true in terms of being a disciple of Jesus. If you're here today and you wanna follow Jesus for the first time, you can come forward for the elders. And I'm gonna invite the elders now to come forward at the front. If you're here today and you need prayer physically, you've been seeing the doctor, you've been having pain, you're going through cancer, you're going through something physically, you need prayer, then come forward. If you're here today and there's something that's discouraging and despair, maybe mental health wise, you need some prayer, then come forward. Or if you're even today a mom here that just says, you know, it's Mother's Day, but I need some prayer today, then come forward. This is a time of prayer. This is a place of prayer. This is where we meet with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Come and touch and heal and restore. God, help us to refocus and break out of distractions and seek you together. We pray in Jesus' name.